Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to take your business or your life to the next level. Today, I'm very excited to have Dr. David Rosenswede as my guest. And let me give you some background of Dr. Rosenswede. So he graduated from Michigan, University of Michigan Medical School in 1968 and has been in private medical practice since 1971 and has had offices in New Mexico, California, and Colorado, and is currently in practice in Southwest Florida. You decided to get some heat again, huh? Since Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) He's the author of books, Menopause and Natural Hormones and Happy Healthy Hormones, How to Thrive in Menopause. He's a nationally known lecturer and frequent presenter at A4M and also a principal investigator for scientific study of female hormones sponsored by the Metatrics, Metametrics, I think is how it's pronounced, Clinical Laboratory. And he's the organizer of a national summit committee on the treatment of women in menopause with bioidentical hormones. The topic today, of course, is going to be menopause. Please join me in welcoming Dr. David Rosensweet. And uh, I think you can hear the birds in the background. They're all excited to hear too. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you. Thank you, Vicki. It's good to be here. And now I've gone way past menopause and uh, luckily it wasn't terrible for me, but I know so many of family, friends, associates, and um, just people that I meet (laughs) that have not um, had a great experience with menopause or are not, are suffering through it right now. So um, before we get into all of the hard questions, um, I just want to ask you, I alluded to Florida, but what part of Florida do you call home? Well, a couple things. One is uh, we actually moved from Florida <laughs> to North Carolina. <laughs> oh, so you're closer to me now. Yeah. Yes, I'm in uh, outside of Asheville. Oh, very nice area. And then there was a curious statement you made called I'm through menopause. Yeah. And if, I, is I, that incorrect? Am I still? <laughs> can I clarify that? Yeah, do that. <laughs> do that for sure. Young women and young men put out our maximum amount of ovarian and testicular hormones at about the age of 20, plus or minus a couple of years, and then we gradually decline, mm-hmm. and we never stop declining until we leave Earth. 
Ah, yes. And women's art pattern is a little different. Women decline, and then there's a precipitous decline, total loss, pretty much, at midlife. Men's decline is as profound, and it's just more gradual. Ah. It's, just, it's just there isn't that moment of precipitous decline. Mm -hmm. It's happening to both men and women, and it creeps up on you. There's there are there's a certain percentage of women we think 16% that have an easy menopause and you're the women we're most concerned about because the other women the 84% have what almost life stopping or really disruptive yeah, yeah, that are really rough and they don't let up and it's these 86% that are highly motivated to do something about it they need to. They can't continue their empowered basic life without mm -hmm. it. But in all women and in all men, these hormones are so powerful that their losses ultimately result in what a gerontologist specialist told our senior medical class in 1968. Here's what's happening to older folks. You guys know thousands of diagnoses, but the main thing that's happening is they're losing their muscle. They can't stand with stability. They fall on their osteoporotic hips, fracture them, and they die. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, so if you want to do something for the elderly, help them with their muscles and bones. And we estimate, uh, colleagues of mine and I estimate that 80 to 90% of women and men who are in assisted living facilities and nursing homes are there primarily because they lost their uh, sex steroids. Mm -hmm. So it happens to everybody. Yeah. And the women we're most concerned about are the women who say, well, I'm through menopause or I had a very easy menopause because there's no motivation there. But the same bone losses, the same loss of muscle, amongst many other things, uh, occur to all of us, men and women. Yeah. So I think um, I have uh, my mom is in a wheelchair, and um, and she's she's a, was only uh, five foot two when she started, and now she's like four ten. So I've had m that motivation because I you know I always think that's somewhat hereditary things like that. So um, I do things to try to keep my muscle and my bones in good shape. Luckily, I've only broken a finger and a toe. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is very true. I'm 65 now. And I, I, whenever I turned my upper 50s, I started doing things because I knew I was going to have grandkids and I wanted to be able to chase after them and run after them and do things with them and not have to say, oh, <laughs> every five minutes. So I do try to do those things, but that's very interesting statistic you have there. Um, and I, I think one of my motivators was um, I, one of the people that worked for me, literally her, her shirt would be soaking wet midday. So we had to, you know, deal with all those sweats and things like that and having trouble sleep. And, and so I, I have made sure that I get the sleep that I need and things like that. But I know, again, that those are things that bother. I, I wanted to 
ask you though, um, as a doctor, what was your why for focusing on menopause and women's health? Well, can I answer that question second? Because I feel I left something out. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. That it's almost impossible to preserve the muscles and the bones without testosterone and without estrogen. So the reason that most people wind up in assisted living is they've lost their testosterone and not replenishing it. And a woman has more testosterone than she's got her most potent estrogen, estradiol. So why I'm saying this is, you know, I have strong opinions. You, so you, so totally, you're saying I should be uh, <laughs> adding uh, hormone therapy or something, which I, I always, I always avoided that because I was afraid of, uh, and again, when I was in my 40, I, in my 40s, uh, early 40s is when I had uh, menopause. Um, and we and, address that. Mm -hmm. That's a poignant topic right there. Yeah. Um, but you were afraid that the doctors um, didn't have a lot of insight as to uh, any bad things about having hormone therapy. And so I was afraid. Yes. Uh, I tried not to do anything that's not. Can, um, I, can I address that? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, women and men have been replenishing hormones for the last thousand years. And in the early 1940s, the pharmaceutical industry developed a way to make great, huge supplies of women's hormones. They did it through catheterizing pregnant horses, mares, mm -hmm. and they produced two hormones, Premarin and its sister, Pre Prempro. And 40% of all American women were on Premarin or Prempro in by 2002, 18 million American women, 40% of those who were in menopause. And you know what? They did terrific. They did so much better than their compatriots. But out comes this false reported study in 2002 that scared women and healthcare providers all over the planet. It was drastic and dramatic. The 18 million dropped to 1 million, something like that, mm -hmm. overnight. And, and what that false reporting stated, because it was false, that women who were at risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke if they took hormones. Yeah. But when you read the study, it wasn't in the study. The press got a hold of something. Mm. in a press conference and they blasted it out and very few people took the time to read the study. The study actually showed that women who were on Premarin alone were at less risk for breast cancer, 21% less risk than women who did not receive Premarin. And that women who were on Prem Pro, the Premarin combined with a progestin molecule, um, they did not have a statistically significant increase in risk. It said so right in the paper. It mm. said no, no, no statistically insignificant, but they didn't read it that way. It mm. wasn't reported that way. And very few physicians even looked at the actual article. Yeah. I did. I was alarmed. <laughs> Am I putting my patients at risk? Yeah. When I saw that and saw the European literature, I went, this is false. Well, the original report was retracted in mm -hmm. 2016 by the original study committee. They uh -huh. said after 18 years of follow-up, there is no increased risk. 
but hardly anyone has heard of that. Yeah. Everyone's living with this false impression of risk. And I'd like to give your audience the, the true science as it's well known. Sure. It'll only take me a minute. That'll take as long as you want. I mean, you know, you're educating me too. <laughs> maybe, mm -hmm. I, maybe at 65, I need to start doing <laughs> And this isn't coming from me. I mean, this is coming straight out of the medical literature. Mm -hmm. It's coming out of a, a world expert, a, a breast cancer specialist, an oncologist, a cancer specialist, who wrote a book called Estrogen Matters. So... If anyone's interested in learning a little more about it, you can go right to the book that you're offering. In chapter three, I discuss risk. Awesome. And they can go right to the Bible of risk, which is Dr. Blooming's book. But mm -hmm. here's the science. We're all at risk for thousands of diagnoses. Every doctor in the world knows this. Yeah. And some of them are not good. Mm -hmm. And we're all at risk for cancers, hundreds of them. And as a male, I have an increased relative risk for prostate cancer, and there's reasons for that. And women do have an increased relative risk for breast cancer, and there's reasons for that. It wasn't always this way. Mm -hmm. Not when I was in medical school. Breast cancer was just one of hundreds and hundreds of cancer. But given that we're all at risk, women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who go untreated. Mm. Even women who've had breast cancer and have had that breast cancer properly treated, they have an increased relative risk for recurrence than a woman does for developing breast cancer right. in the okay. beginning. However, they're at less risk for recurrence if they're treated with hormones than if they're not treated. Mm -hmm. I wanted to clarify that because, of course, being doing the work I'm doing, I meet up with every single day for the last 20 years. Yeah. I'm very concerned that you're expressing. And it, it, it's, it's heart rendering to me because so many women, they didn't want to put themselves at risk. Yeah. But they were given the false information. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a certainty, hate to say it, but it's almost a certainty that these other things happen from not getting the hormones replenished, mm -hmm. right down to assisted living and yeah. um, and nursing homes. So anyway, thanks for giving me the air time. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most Thanks for giving me um, advice that I need to talk to my primary care doctor. Now, they may or may not be aware of it, physicians love for the most part love and are become more and more expert at what they're interested in mm -hmm. or what their specialty is and they can't even keep up with their specialty i tell you it's yeah. so much information yeah. it's fantastic and they love that and they do that for the most part almost every mm -hmm. physician i've ever met but they've steered away from the world of hormones because they got frightened yeah and they're usually I, and because I live in this this particular world of medicine, I very rarely run across a physician who has been given the new information. Mm. It just never spread. So to consult even your gynecologist, even the gynecologic societies, and gynecologists are amazing. They, they, their, their body of knowledge and their expertise is phenomenal, mm -hmm. but not in hormones. 
Yeah. They're surgeons. They're proceed. They love procedures. Mm -hmm. Bless their hearts. We need them desperately for this. But they're not, for the most part, there are exceptions. They're not into hormones. So they're they're still living with and their medical societies are still saying the same thing. They have not yet come out with and saying, wait a minute, we made a mistake here. Yeah. They haven't done it. So you if you can solve um, your your most treasured beloved physician it's very You're unlikely not gonna that know. they have been exposed to the to the, the actual information well mm -hmm. oh, there's people out there beating the bushes trying to get this uh, information exposed yeah. well my gynecologist retired this she's the same age as i am <laughs> so she retired so oh, i'll seek out a new one that um <laughs> maybe is more forward thinking if you will um we started to talk a little bit about menopause and um, the, the negatives, if you will, but can a woman really thrive um, as they're going through menopause? Absolutely. And thrive is the correct word because here midlife, many women are at the peak of their mm -hmm. knowledge, their experience, their happiness, their vitality, their empowerment. Right. And then all they have to do is link up with someone who knows how to replenish their hormones with precision and individuality and women thrive mm. and stay thriving. They don't stop. Right, right. And I'm talking about so many functions like the uh, healthy functioning brain mm -hmm. and arteries and protection from coronary artery disease and healthy vaginas and bladders that you don't lose control and libido. And there's women who are having active intimacy in their seventies and eighties mm -hmm. and nineties. And for the most part, those, those women are on hormones. Very good. And you can see the difference and you can see it in some movie stars because they've been, they, many of them have been long aware that hormones are good mm -hmm. and they're not afraid of them and uh so yes thrive is is the word and and really as someone that is in her 60s uh thrive is what i want to do you know i started these this new business in 2021 and um i'm loving this you know i'm actually doing what i love but um my health is important to that, you know, as a speaker, trainer, and coach, I have to be able to thrive and um, yeah. be able to, to withstand um, the schedule that I keep. The same so, is true for men, Vicki. It's, it's not like this is exclusive to women. Um, when Viagra came on the market, the erectile dysfunction drug, mm -hmm. there was an explosion of knowledge, certainly in the medical community that, Oh, men are not doing this well yeah <laughs> they're losing it and they're not just losing their erectile function they're losing their muscles yeah they're losing their mood they're losing their drive they're losing mm -hmm. their energy they're losing their vitality yeah so it, this is not exclusive to women by any means so we treat men as well absolutely yeah i used to tease my husband that he had worse hot flashes than i did <laughs> yeah that came, I think, from taking niacin. 
Um, can you talk about the individualized treatment um, that I read in your bio about? Um, delve into a little bit more about this individualized treatment that you talked about. Well, women and men, I mean, I'm a male. I look like a lot of males. And women, in general, we could say, well, we all sort of are alike or built the mm -hmm. same, but it's not true. Yeah. Um, there's tremendous individual variation. So, for example, there's some young women that in order to menstruate regularly and be fertile and carry a pregnancy, mm -hmm. they have, relatively speaking, this much estrogen. Whereas other young women who are healthy, vital, regularly menstruating, they have this much estrogen and they each one need the amount they have. Mm. And this can be three times the amount of this. Mm. And then there's three other ovarian hormones that are equally as important, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. And the same variation can be in those. Some women are healthy, strong, muscular, runners, exercisers at this amount of testosterone. Other women, to have the same vitality, they need this much testosterone. Mm. Now, that's four hormones. DHEA is in there too, and so is progesterone. When you show the individual variation, because some women are rich in estrogen, but relatively lower in progesterone and maybe medium in testosterone. Other women are richest in progesterone, lowish in estrogen. All these are healthy. Mm-hmm and maybe high in testosterone. All of these things are variables. In clinical practice, there's no problem whatsoever. All we do is individualize it woman to woman. Mm -hmm. We do the exact same process, but to be aware of that precision that one dose does not fit all. And even in the days when one dose was given of Premarin, for example, mm -hmm. and then there was two doses, even without that specificity or individuality, these women did a lot better than everyone else. Mm. But the really elegant, excellent, um, you take a very high uh, value to excellence. I could tell by reading some things about you. <laughs> in fact, you're of the you're asking the highest mm. in excellence. Mm. Bravo. Well, to get that at the most excellent, you want to get it right. And mm -hmm. once you get it right, you're pretty much set for the rest of your life. Minor tweaks year after year, minor tweaks. But getting that individuality right, well, we all want to do what's best for our bodies yeah. and for our lives. And so that that degree of specificity is important. Right. So um, one of the other, uh, not unique, um, one in four women have this <laughs> So I lost my um, ovary and tube when I was um, 25 or 24 years old. And um, so I only have one and I had four pregnancies and two full term. And so um, what does that, when you only have one set of ovaries, uh, ovary and tubes, what does that do to your level of, or, or does it make no difference? to the level of hormones. To, yeah. to a young woman, very often, it's almost unnoticeable. Sometimes it is, but just like you proved, you only need one tube. 
<laughs> one egg <laughs> to get pregnant out of hundreds of thousands of eggs. Yeah. Um, and then once you, there, then there comes a time in your life and every woman's life where the ovaries no longer function and they shrivel up actually. Mm -hmm. And they're no longer putting out hormones. And that's pretty much the same. Doesn't matter if you have one or two, none of them are functioning. Right. Very good. And so it's it's not a big deal usually. Sometimes when a woman has an ovary removed, it's compromising, but a lot of times it isn't, and you never drop a beat. And yeah, no, mine was uh I dropped a beat, but uh, but anyway, <laughs> it was mm -hmm. okay after was taken out um so how do biomedical i'm sorry bioidentical hormones work and obviously i have never heard that term before bioidentical well it it's interesting the history of supplying hormones to men and women the first record we have of it is the chinese did it about a thousand years ago mm -hmm. the aristocracy set up these outhouses for young women in a separate outhouse for young men and they collected the urine of the young women in one batch and the urine of the young healthy men in another batch and they dried out these urines and what's what's present in the residual is a powder and those powder contain hormones oh. and the, they fed that those hormones to the aristocracy and then fast forward to the 1940s, the pharmaceutical industry wanted to address menopause, and they did a very similar process. Well, the earliest stuff in the, in the United States, they collected pregnant women's urine, but it was too expensive and too difficult. So the pharmaceutical industry turned towards collecting the urine of pregnant horses. And there's enough estrogen in horses not 50% of what's in horses is not seen in the human woman, but 50% are. So that when you dry out horse urine and you give that to women, you're giving them hormones. Mm -hmm. And it worked and it still works and they're still uh, doing it today. But then in the 1980s, in two independent folks, a medical doctor in, in around Seattle area and a pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist in the Dallas area, simultaneously had this flash. They knew that the pharmaceutical industry was refining plant-based hormones to, pr to prepare, to provide pure estradiol for the birth control pill. Hmm. They were aware of that, and they both said, I wonder if our pharmacists could get a hold of the molecularly pure estradiol and other hormones mm -hmm. and they did and they purchased the pure highly refined beautifully done uh it's basically derived from soy mm -hmm. because plants have these precursors to hormones in them and so they they extracted the precursor and and you know very exact in a very exact in chemical environment converted the precursor to hormones to the actual molecule that's identical to the molecule that came out of the ovary. Oh, wow. And they've been doing that since the early 1980s. And there's 7,500 of these pharmacists who are 
preparing, they're taking the powders that they purchase ultimately from the pharmaceutical industry. That's where they derive from. Mm -hmm. And they put them up in creams and gels and pills and capsules. And they've been doing that since the 1980s. So bioidentical means the molecule of, for example, estradiol that came out of your ovary and the molecule that these compounding pharmacists are providing mm -hmm. are identical. They're the same thing. You can't tell them apart. We wow. we like that. It made sense to me. Why not use plant derived yeah. pure hormones? We're we're I'm a big tent sort of folk person in the sense that however women find their way to whatever hormones are being offered, if they're under the care of someone who really knows what they're doing, they're gonna benefit. Right. That, right. that spans the 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 spectrum from premarin all the way to the most exact copy of a molecule, the bioidenticals, all that's going to do good if you get some good treatment. But I favor bioidenticals. Right, right, the plant-based. So is there a cost impediment to hormone therapy anymore? There is. Um, insurance companies will honor a pharmaceutically manufactured hormone and they'll usually not always but usually stay away from paying for a compounded bioidentical hormone mm. there are exceptions and so there is a cost barrier there and when one of our partners came on board um, he did some significant research into that cost barrier Mm -hmm. And because I had trained so many physicians and nurse practitioners, he approached a nationally licensed compounding pharmacy and said, look, we've, we've got a lot of women that you could be dispensing. And so we, we've we come out uh, in, in two weeks or maybe four after years of working on it, um, we'll be able to offer hormones at a very, very low cost, half of what or awesome. a third of what. Uh, all four ovarian hormones, and same for men. Uh, white. So the price is coming down, but you know, the United States hasn't gotten wise to this yet, but they have in Europe. The national health services in Britain and in, I think, the Scandinavian company, countries, they're offering the hormones free. Oh, wow. Because... They realize that if they offer, they're going to sustain the health and they're going to reduce their overall nursing home. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Right. So dramatically that it pays for them to give the hormones out for no charge. Yeah. May the United States catch up on this particular practice. <laughs> yeah, for mean. sure. Yeah, if you, if you keep people healthy, then insurance doesn't have to pay for anything. That's right. So um, we are almost out of time. So I, I wonder if you could just think back to when you were 20 years old. What advice do you think you'd like to have given yourself at that time? Now, knowing oh what you goodness. know now. <laughs> well, I think the advice I'd like to have given my 20-year-old self is the advice I started hearing in my early 30s was take on the project of healing myself. Mm. 
feeling my emotions and my mind and my consciousness and to become a better man and mm -hmm. become a better spouse and a better father. Well, I did hear it. I didn't hear it at 20. I was a good guy, but I had a lot of dysfunctionality going on. Mm. And uh, but I did hear, hear it in my thirties, so I took my it took me about fifteen years to hear the advice <laughs> and take it to heart. And so I'm so grateful I have that. Uh, that's take awesome. out my personal healing. So, in the rapid fire question, I uh, just have two today. One is. What are two or three points that you really want the audience to take away from this um, talk today? In medicine, the replenishing of hormones is the most potent and wonderful and safe thing you can possibly do for yourself. Take it on, read my book, embrace it like mana from heaven because it is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome and then so what's next in this journey that you have you have another well, book I, or i i'm active um, i'm I, I work about 50 hours a week i love what i do i have an amazing partners and team that i get teary-eyed when i just think about how much love i feel for these oh. folks and we've got a major project we we'd like to see at the core of our mission is we feel like this world desperately needs more feminine energy yeah. in the halls of decision, in the family, in business, and in politics. And we feel like the greatest contribution we can make to that is empowering midlife women. So we'd like to see there's about 6 million women, maybe 8 million now back on hormones after there was 18 million in 2002. Yeah. To see 100 million women in the United States on these hormones. And we feel like the feminine energy would emerge and there would wars would cease and golden rule would, yeah. everyone would move towards the golden rule. So that's our mission. And uh, we're serious about it. <laughs> Yeah, yours, you know, you and I, I are so aligned. I One of my leadership tracks that I teach is leading with the heart, the head, and the hands. And and that's really to take that feminine energy and kind of balance it with the masculine energy. Yes, but absolutely. really, um, that's what changed my trajectory in my career at 50 when I just stopped trying to lead like a man and um, lead from my heart and my gut and... Um, Things have worked out quite well since then. <laughs> so it's been awesome talking with you. I'm going to share my screen right now. Oh, this, the um, screen that I'm going to show is for the people that are watching. If you're just listening, I will have all this information on my YouTube as well as my website. But if you want to grab a paper and pencil right now so that you can write down the website information uh, you can do so, and I uh, will share my screen now. For those that are watching, you can grab a screenshot. So we see that David Rosensweet, and again, David is with an ED, not ID, and his contact information is that he's at https colon forward slash forward slash www.brite.live, again, brite.live. And you can um, get a copy of his book, and I'll let David 
talk to you about that book. Well, it's I originally wrote it for women, and it's now in its seventh or eighth edition. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning, not much was known about hormones, certainly by me or by, by many people. But I figured if I gave women a certain amount of information and we started low and gradually increased <laughs> the hormones and the, the hormones were going into their body, we'd figure it out. And we did. <laughs> awesome. And that's and so this book is about what I think is the most important thing for women to think about and to understand as you uh, as you meet up with this topic of do I want to do anything about this menopause situation? And you can go to https colon forward slash forward slash I like index O object B boy I index again M Mary dot org slash book I O B I M dot org slash book. And again, all this information will be on YouTube as well as my website, thefindyourleadershipconfidence.com. Please do visit the website, bright.live, and learn more about David Rosensweet, MD, to be able to um, see if you have need of services that uh, hormones, or I guess the benefits of hormone therapy can give to you. I know I will be reading his books and... Uh, being investigating this because I do want to have my next, hopefully 40 years be good ones. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it's been just wonderful talking with you. I learned quite a lot today. Uh, I think you have intrigued me enough to uh, do something more. And um, as I said, I am all about being able to thrive in my golden years. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast. <laughs>